once again. This is Nuance, and I am Mike Scala. We're going to be talking about Mayor Adams in Albany with the Tin Cup. That's apparently that's what they're calling it. It's, he's asking the state for money, including for half of the migrant expenses to be covered. So we'll be getting to that. But I'd like to introduce our co-hosts. We've got Jay Carter, also known as Timid, hip-hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Same old, same old, man. A little bit of a headache this morning. Didn't sleep all the way, but, uh, you know, mm. got to keep pushing. Yeah, I've actually been sick myself. I saw that. I saw the post about that. You good? Yeah. I'm all right. You know, it's funny. It keeps morphing every day, right? So a couple yeah. of days ago, I was coughing a lot, and I had a really stuffy nose. Yeah. I seem to have gotten beyond that, but then I got up feeling weaker. Right, you would think as you were getting over the sickness, you would get be getting your strength back, but mm -hmm. I that it's like every day it takes on a different iteration. So I'm still not myself. I still feel down. Mm. Mm. How about you, Shiva? How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. I can't complain. I'm doing good. Besides it being cold, but okay. other than that, I hear that. Yeah, everything when voters you still got your Golden Gate Bridge background there huh? yeah <laughs> maybe one day i'll drive cross country <laughs> yeah yeah same here same here i'll pass well yeah. one thing that you apparently did not pass on <laughs> jay was watching those breakfast club interviews that i'm sure came up on your feed maybe it was like a car crash you couldn't turn away yeah you know they they I, I don't generally watch the interviews. I mean, sometimes it's a rare occasion if someone's on there and I'm thinking, okay, this might be an interesting interview. But actually in the last week I've watched three and they're like at least an hour and a half each. I uh, watched oh. the Pierce the Pierce Morgan interview, the Vivek uh Ramas Ramaswamy interview, and the Nikki Haley interview. Um and just yeah, I guess they were interesting and I couldn't turn away. I think you watched a couple of them as well, right? Yeah, believe it, believe it or not, I watched all three of them. And I'm like you, I don't really watch a lot of that stuff for whatever reason. They were on my feed, maybe because I'm homesick. I don't know what it is, but I, I also saw them and watched them all the way through. Yeah, I was oh. like, I couldn't believe that I just could, we just kept watching. And actually, the the first one was the, um, the Pierce Morgan one. And I started um, only about... I was looking for a specific point because I saw like a, a, a reels or a shorts that came up and he said one kind of comment. And I was like, OK, I want to hear the rest of this. And so I went into that video, pulled up the transcript, did a search to find that point in the video and went right there just to listen to that and just kept watching all the way through and then went back and watched the full thing. So, yeah, it was crazy. The one one of the main things I took from that is. It's Vivek. Mm -hmm. Not Vivek. Yeah, he says rhymes with cake. You're right, right. Because right? yeah. I, I think people have been calling him Vivek this whole time, and he's like, "No, it's Vivek. Rhymes with cake." I was like, "Okay." So, what yeah. did you think about these interviews? <sighs> Honestly, the one that stood out to me, and maybe it's a matter of recency, because I saw it last, was the Nikki Haley one. The the Piers one seemed to me mostly about his background he talked about being on the celebrity apprentice and the right, right. cowl and that whole you know his, his history it wasn't too interesting from a substance point of view for me 
the Vivek was just, oh, okay, here we go again. You know, he's, he's saying what he says. And I don't think he was challenged enough by the hosts. I agree. I think the Nikki Haley one was the most interesting to me. And I felt like they were pushing back a little bit more on her. I agree. I agree. I think they should have pushed back a little bit more, but you're right. I think um, they definitely pushed back more than than the other two interviews. Um, I think even Envy had a couple of things to say, um, whereas in prior ones, he was pretty much silent the whole time. And it was just Charlemagne that was doing the dialoguing. Um, But I mean, he did. Charlemagne did um, directly dispute some things like she's you know when she was maintaining um what was the point um about obama being the reason for a division in the country and you know he's like he's like no it was a white lash type of thing and he's like it was racism you know and he didn't i I think that that was a talking point that came directly from fox news because i had never heard that until but the, the first time i heard it was when a fox news viewer yeah, confronted me with it, and I was like, "Oh, is that what they're telling you on Fox News?" Because I w- I had never heard that outside of that before. Like, yeah. It seemed like that was the main thing that was repeated in that world specifically. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that side takes maintains that position that we didn't have this division, this big partisanship, this talks until Obama. Obama is the one that sowed these seeds. Like, and that's ridiculous. And in fact, Charlemagne did push back on that, and he said that that really comes from the right wing media. And yeah. Nikki Haley didn't even deny that, right? She said, well, regardless of where it came from, but I mean, that's your answer? That's, right. That's a weak response. You're acknowledging that it was the right-wing media that created this, but you're still blaming Obama for it. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, he could have pushed even more on some other points. One thing that was really interesting about this is because, you know, with Nikki Haley, some of the the big controversy that's been following her for the past couple of weeks was her. And we talked about it here about her answer in regards to what the cause of the Civil War was. And she just wouldn't say slavery. But she walked those statements back on the breakfast clubs. Yeah, I was surprised. Oh, I thought he was asking about something uh, of a cause other than slavery, like basically saying like it's a foregone conclusion that it's slavery but i thought it was he wanted a different answer so i gave a different right, one like right. come on and i kind of understood her perspective just in terms of sometimes when you have someone like that approach you at a town hall or a meeting or whatever it is you can tell that they're not on your side and so maybe you do overthink because you immediately recognize that they're trying to set you up for some kind of gotcha and that's kind of what she was saying that i knew this was a gotcha question and i stumbled because i overthought it and i understand that perspective but the substance of what she said didn't really resonate with me because i mean come on i mean it just again it kind of sounded like she was talking out of both sides of her mouth and and she did that quite a lot during that interview and it was very very evident um and I, to yeah. be honest that's probably the most i've heard her speak at one sitting um and she did that a lot because she was saying about like what she went on on trump talking about he's basically he's unfit um, he's done damage to the country. He's very bad for for the country and democracy and all this and that. And then Charlemagne's like, "Yeah, but you voted for him twice, you and know." You served in his administration, and you served in his administration. And then she was oh. like, "He was like, oh well, you know, he did, you know, he did what he was supposed to do. He was his his issues are correct." And it's like, which is it? Is he here's bad? The yeah. Now, here's the thing that really struck me about that. And my response, and I was having a conversation with someone who also saw this interview. Right. And I said, it's hard for me to take you seriously when you say this person was needed at the time because right. 
her, her quote, he's good at breaking things, good right. at breaking things, right? And then, so the question is, okay, well, once then, how can you be running against him now, right? Why isn't he the right one now? And your answer is, well, he brings too much chaos. So right. you need to tell me that you couldn't foresee that the person who was good at breaking things would bring too much chaos. So it's, right. it's hard for me to take her seriously. Either you're lying or you're just not very smart. Right. It's like, yeah, why are you running? Well, he was good at the time because he's good at breaking things. Well, why are you running? Because things are broken. Well, right. He, right. He the thing that I, I, I that. Voted, the reason why I voted for him happened, and that's why I'm now running against him because we can't have right. that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and Charlemagne, he pushed back a little bit on that, but I think he could have went further and kept drilling that point a little bit further. Uh, because she kept bringing it up over and over again. I think he only pushed back like once, maybe twice. But here's the thing, though. So the person I was talking to told me that that was a brilliant answer on, that she gave. and But they kept attributing this other part, uh, her apparently saying he's good at breaking things, but he's not good at putting them back together. He was like, that was a brilliant way of describing it. And she didn't, I, I went back to rewatch it, in fact. She did not say that in the beginning. She did say that at the end of the interview. And maybe that is a more artful way of, of trying to phrase it, I don't know. But in the beginning, when that question first came up, she did not say that. She just said, right. he was good at breaking things, but he brings chaos, that's why we can't have him. And that just, that doesn't make any sense. Right, yeah. So. Oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, she um she contradicted herself a lot during right, right. and the whole thing about the Confederate flag, right? right. She wanted to go on in, in great depth, which by the way, she didn't walk this back. She didn't walk back the part about America not being a racist country, right? She stuck to that one. But that right. was she did. her holding on to that belief. But at the same time, she was still trying to talk about how she's faced racism. <laughs> right. And she yeah. also gave a big speech about how she fought to remove the the Confederate flag. From South Carolina State Capitol, and I think Charlemagne even asked, "Well, then why did you do that? If, if America doesn't have a problem with racism, why are you even bothering taking down the flag?" Yeah, she sounds like she's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, the reason why I think the reason why she walked back the the statement on uh, slavery, and probably because she gave these other the reason why she gave these other answers is because of the backlash that happened because of that answer that. That you know, her base loved that answer. They 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 loved that for sure. But if she's trying to get a bigger platform, she's gonna have to at least make some kind of concession there. And I think this is what kind of tempered those things. Well, so it's interesting though that she's doing this in advance of the South Carolina primary. Yeah. So it's not like she's trying to gain more moderate voters in California right now. I mean, she's trying to right. get the South Carolina Republicans. So is it the right time? You know, maybe right. she, she did that because of the people that she was talking to. We see that she right. talks about the top of her mouth. Maybe she was pandering to the audience. It was a breakfast club, mm -hmm. hip hop station, black hosts. That could be the reason too. Right. And 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 the audience is New York City, which is fairly liberal, and so mm -hmm. and a large contingent of people of color. So that could be, you know, right. like uh what was it like Hillary Clinton showing up with the hot sauce in her bag? Yeah, people always talk about that. Oh. I understand that actually was true. It sounded like pandering, but it actually was actually the case with Hillary. She actually does walk around with hot sauce in her bag. Mm -hmm. I think the way she communicates seems, seems a little tone deaf, though. Right. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, she's from Arkansas, so like she is from the South. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprprised, but still, it did come off it like came that. off a certain way. Yeah. Um, speaking of her being all over the place, Haley, the abortion issue, she wouldn't even take a stand one way or the other. I mean, she did say she was pro-life, but she didn't accept 
the initial categorization, I think that Envy gave, right? He said that uh, she's pro-life because her husband, because uh, her husband was adopted, adopted. You know, conceiving, whatever. She rejected that. She's like, well, that's what the Democrats say. But then she gave a very long answer where she basically said the same thing, but she wouldn't really be committal one way or the other. She wants to be all, like, I think she wants us to be everything to everybody on the issue. Right. I think, and I, I think she did explicitly say, uh, I'm I'm against it because my husband was adopted. I think she explicitly said right. that. Right. I think Envy said, well, I read here that you're pro-life because you had a hard time conceiving. And she got upset. Right. Bad. She said, but I think she, but in her answer, she mentioned both. That she, yes, she had a hard time conceiving and the fact that her husband is adopted. Right. So, yeah. but, but then she also was talking about, but, you know, realistically, we can never federally uh, ban abortion well, right. countrywide and so it's up to the states and the states want to be pro-choice that's on them i'm fine with that and and so she was yeah. saying she was pro-life but she was also saying pro-choice is cool too it's like it just again was like another example of her i guess triangulating you would call that yeah i think she was yeah so i, I mean again i i did watch the whole interview it it obviously was interesting but it, you know, uh, I wish they would have pushed back further on her. And I've seen a lot on social media them, uh, people criticizing uh, Envy and Charlemagne saying, look, if you're going to have these politicians on, you 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 need to at least have the, the, the knowledge and the wherewithal to be able to question them. But, you know, to be honest, I think I think Charlemagne did push back more than many journalists do on some of these candidates. Yeah. What Especially I, on those issues about race. I think they right. pushed back a lot more than I've seen any. You know what's interesting, though? And I don't know if this is something different or new in his style. But in my mind, the Charlemagne of yesterday or of previous years might have been more forceful in his right. approach. Maybe not. Yes substance that might have been the same but right. in terms of being more right. confrontational it seemed like the he was very soft-spoken in the way he was asking the questions respectful. It, it came right it came off as but more than respectful it came off as almost deferential and i think that's where right. some people maybe have issue like it sounds like he's not being forceful enough with them even just right. in his manner of speaking to them right yeah like you know go at why don't you go after her like you went after like beanie siegel why did you go after her like you went after little mama like you made that that girl cry like yeah but i get like, it i mean look, look this this is the former governor and you went ambassador sure. and you want to treat them with a little more respect uh but i think you should treat everyone with respect i don't think it's a matter of being disrespectful it's just right. a matter of being forceful right right yeah so yeah, like I said, I was interested. Uh, it was interesting. Um, you mentioned South Carolina real quickly. So just a real quick shout out to Biden for demolishing the primary. That's just crazy. And that's like 98%, 98% right? or something like, like that. Um, so some people will be dismissive of that. Oh, it's a joke of a primary. Hold on a second. We have to put this in the proper perspective, right? You Right now, yes, you've got two presidents, a former president and the current president going through the primary process. One of them is having a much more difficult time than the other, right? Let's call it as it is. And the fact that you've got 97%, you could usually run a ham sandwich. You know, you could put a rock on the ballot and they can, I guess, an incumbent, right? And they could usually be expected to get at least 25% just on the anti-incumbent vote. The fact that he got 97% tells you that the people want Joe to be the nominee, right? There's no, that's very, very clear at this point. 
Yeah, and 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 then and then take that into account. Um, last week, the New Hampshire primary, where he wasn't even on the ballot, and he got seventy, what seventy eight, seventy five percent of the vote for the write in. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think you could put that to rest that the people don't want Joe. I mean, the results clearly say otherwise. Yeah, so far it's it's showing so so, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, who knows who's who's going to be on the scene next? I don't I don't foresee being interested in anybody else's interview. Um, I don't even know why I was interested in theirs, but um, <laughs> yeah, if you only watch White Cares Morgan interview this week, <laughs> yeah, Vivek is is on like a, a a circuit right now. He's popping up on every show. I all I see now is. Within the past week, he's been doing these podcasts and these uh, interviews. Um, Listen, he's trying to take advantage of his newfound fame. Which he said he wasn't going to do in in his interview on The Breakfast Club. I'm not trying to monetize this. I don't want to. I mean, okay. I don't know if it's monetizing, but he is certainly making the rounds, right? He's he's not hiding. He's he's himself out there in the public and going on all these shows and, you know, Uh making himself extra visible. And so he is doing that. One thing that was, and I forgot how much, how much, do you remember how much money he said that he spent on, on the campaign? Was it 20 million? Um, it was, it was a lot of millions and he talked about like, it was no big deal. Right. Right. But it was, it was a lot of millions and he, and it sounded like he was saying it was coming out of his pocket. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. His own personal money he spent, it was many million dollars that he spent on the campaign. That was the most striking thing. I think for me about that interview, because I was thinking about that's basically the cost of fame. I mean, if you have that kind of money, you could run for president and become a celebrity. Even if you don't right. win, you didn't win. He is now a celebrity, right? For better or worse. And mm-hmm. he's got that fame. And, you know, there it is. He, he bought. That's what he did. He bought himself celebrity status. It said he he spent close to $30 million out of his own pocket. Yeah. So if you have $30 million laying around, you could become a celebrity, too. I could probably do it for... for yeah. <laughs> But so, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting interviews. So, yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, we were looking at what's going on in the news, trying to find interesting things. I guess our main topic here is going to be the Tin Cup Day. Have you heard this term before? I never heard Tin Cup Day before, and I've worked in the legislature as an attorney. Tin mm-hmm. Cup Day, I guess it's why a Tin Cup? They're saying the mayor is going up to Albany basically with with a cup. Like it's to me, it's like a tip jar. I don't know, a tin cup is that what people go? Yeah, tin cup. Like? It would be yeah. that would be from days gone by when beggars used to beg with tin cups. Yeah. I, I would think the, the 20, 1920s and before. Oh, okay, I've never heard really old reference. Called, yeah, I've never heard of it called tin cup day. But right. I have yeah. said tin cup. Yeah, day, I and I've been through this process. This process is nothing new. What happens is yeah. Obviously, the state every year goes through its budget process, right? How it's going to allocate state funds. And so the mayor will go to Albany asking for a share of it, right? More than a fair share for New York City. They're advocating for the city. And it's not just the mayor of New York that does it. But, of course, it's it's big when the mayor comes up. And it's kind of like a song and dance that happens every year. And New York City is really the driving force of the state economy. And so these things are very much intertwined. So... One of the things that's noteworthy, of course, the mayor is asking for mayoral control to be extended so that he can keep controlling schools and, and so forth in the city. But the headlines coming out of this really are that the mayor is asking for the state to cover half of the bill for the migrant crisis. Yeah, 
That's interesting. What do you think about that, Shiva, that the state should cover half of that that bill? I I I don't think the state I don't feel that the state should. Mm. I think um not maybe not half, maybe they can give him a quarter. But I don't think they should but when you say a quarter, do you mean 25 cents or do you mean one fourth? <laughs> no, a quarter of what he might be asking for. Gotcha. What okay, so a quarter of what he might be asking for, that'd be a quarter of that half then. <laughs> yes. Okay, so not even a quarter of the total cost. It's a quarter of the half. Exactly. Because you have, um, there are other county, other mayors, I'm sure, that are there besides him. So... Right, but to be clear, he's not asking for half of the state's budget on this. He's asking for half of the New York City cost of the migrant crisis to be covered. So, in theory, other mayors and smaller cities could also be asking for half of theirs covered. Right. Their bill is going to be a lot smaller. Maybe, maybe not. Things are very expensive after the pandemic. I mean, but then, come on, in New York City, you know that we're going to have the highest costs. There's most people. Yeah. It depends because I know he. Um, like in Monroe County, county, you have apartments going for over two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars. So, wow. it's it depends. And how much, how much does a homeless shelter provider make per room, uh, per month in New York City? More than that. Um, yeah, I don't know how much. I don't know what the cost is in New York City because they are putting them up in the in the hotels. Is he asked them to covering the cost of the hotels? The entire yeah, well, the entire bill, half of the bill, right? That the city itself has to pay, right? He's asking them to cover half of the expenses. So, what are the expenses? Yeah, that's part of it. That's the resources, right? Well, we talked about that. All the resources that are are strained now in the city as we right. And then that's what he was he was kind of um I mean forewarning about back uh you know what what the end of uh 2023 or the mm -hmm. October September time around there uh he was talking about how the strain was too great I mean at that time it's probably much greater now at that time it was like almost 120,000 uh migrants had come in in New York in one year and so like it was killing the the state's budget Oh, the city's so what, budget. What were the costs? See, I don't know. What were they paying for? They were, were they paying for their transportation to get here? No, uh, they were paying for housing. Yeah, housing. Yeah, housing, food, and clothing. Yeah. Are they paying for their clothing? Medical. I, I don't know. See, I'm what, sure there's all, in that all kinds of help. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, yeah, well, did you also for his legal bills. <laughs> Which is interesting, right? Because the city has been going to court trying to fight some of this. Remember, they were trying to right from the uh, the right to shelter or modify it and, and so forth. And so they're racking up <laughs> hefty legal bills as well on this. Jeremy in the chat was asking, uh, how much is the government, the federal government, pitching in? Not much. And this, and in fact, Adams pretty much is giving up on the federal right. government pitching in. That's why he's asking for for more from the state. So I just wanted to start off here. Talking about numbers, the city says 173,000 migrants have arrived in New York since the spring, and more mm -hmm. than 67,000 of them are currently in the shelter system. So that's according to the Gothamist. Right. So, that's, so you know that's what? A, that's 
that is more than that's about the size of the population of this prefecture that I'm in. Um, the prefecture is what, like a county? It's like a state. Oh, like a state. Mm. Wow. No, no. I'd say no. This the size of the city that I'm in, not the whole prefecture. Okay. I, I walked mm -hmm. that back. Probably the, probably the size of the city, which is quite spread out. But Tallahassee. Yeah. Tallahassee was about 180,000 people. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's now, yeah, not an insignificant number. That's yeah, that's massive. yeah, that's, that's big. Speaking, someone made the point. I want to get your thoughts on this. That according to this person that I saw on an interview, they said that at first people were upset with the Republican governors like Abbott in Texas for sending these migrants to cities like New York, right? But they said that ultimately that that proved to be effective because it's for the first time showing cities like New York that there is a crisis where previously it was just the border areas that were overwhelmed with, you know, with the resource problem. But now that other cities are getting it, they're saying that it's making it harder for people in the cities to be dismissive of the immigration issue when now they're a problem too. Right. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Shiva? Well, with the, um, the you know, with the, that migrant, um, so they're saying that New York feels that it's real now. Yeah. But with the, um, you know, it, with them migrants coming to New York City and feeling that that he he knows now that. There wasn't just on TV. How, you know, how, what was his um, thoughts, his political thoughts on the migrants? See, I don't know what Eric Adams, what he thought about the migrants, what he said about the migrants. The only thing I heard him say was that New York was a sanctuary city and that the migrants could come here. So that tells me he knew something. He knew it had to be real. Or he wouldn't have made that statement. Well, I think everyone knew it was real. It's just uh, some of the southern states have been saying it's it's much bigger than people realize and understand. And so the fact that a hundred was one hundred seventy thousand in the past year have come come to New York or been sent to New York that it shows that there's a, a massive amount of people coming through. Where others were downplaying how many were coming across. Right, but I think him being in politics that he could not not know that. How could he not know that? Well, it's not about knowing it or not. I think it's about whether it's your problem or not. And it isn't only about the mayor. It's about the people, attitudes of the people in the cities as well, right? Because, you know, you talk about New York being a sanctuary city. The argument goes, the idea is that it was easier for people in these cities, not just New York, right, but basically any of these cities that are away from the border to say, you know, listen, home of the free, land of the brave, Statue of Liberty, we, we love the immigrants, we're pro-immigrant, you know, we're sanctuary cities, we protect immigrants, and, and basically uh, never acknowledge the seriousness of the issue, right? Um, and, and basically paint anyone who acknowledges such seriousness as evil, right? Because it never hit them. So it was easy to come and, and again, this is not my argument. This is what the argument that I saw presented was, that it, you know, from afar, it's easy to be like, oh, you know, you guys that are, are saying that immigration is a problem, you're just bad people. But then when it hits your home and it hits your backyard, now you're confronted with the reality of it and your perspective is forced to change. 
But that's my point. How could he not know that? That was in New York City. Huh? I'm sorry. They're talking about everyone who lives in New York City. Everyone the did, attitudes well, did of every, people in the city. Yeah. But did everyone in New York City feel that way? Did the majority of the people feel that way in New York City? What way? That uh, to, to be pro-immigrant? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the thing here is even with Adams knowing, and I don't think it's not that he didn't know, but what what he didn't foresee, and probably no one foresaw, was that states like Texas and Governor Abbott were going to use that sanctuary city um, statute or whatever it is against them, because a lot of these are being sent from Texas uh, and these places, uh -huh. these border towns. So they're busing them up to and dropping them off in, in New York. They're saying, OK, you said you're a sanctuary city here. Here, have all of these people, you know. Um, that wasn't what was expected. No one thought that they were going to start just like shipping migrants like cargo to others, other states. Yeah. And is it right to do that? Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's another I, thing. I is that, is you that, know what? Yeah, and then, I would definitely question, say, no, that's question. not right. Right. I would definitely say, no, that's not right. But you could also look at the other side of that and say, well, they're sending them to a place where they know they're going to help them. But you so know, giving them help that they came for, you know what I mean? But, like, but you, but, but you, the thing is, is that um, if you don't have, if you, you know what um, you can afford as a city to do. Right. Then sure. the New York City has not handled their homeless homelessness, the homeless population. For some years now, and well, essentially, that's what the sanctuary city yeah. idea was about. Was more right. about wasn't about taking in migrants. It was more about making sure that home the homeless population. Well, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. guaranteed that's, help. That's what right to shelter is. Oh, right, right, right. The, the sanctuary, but still, the sanctuary. But but again, the sanctuary city. Oh, thing, right. That goes back really to this idea that it wasn't a tremendous issue in a right. city like New York until more recently, right? Because they weren't being bust in by these numbers until more recently. And so it's easy to say we're a sanctuary city, or at least easier when we're not being burdened as much. And it becomes right. a problem when you have to deal with the reality of the resource strain. I mean, you know, just it's just a logistical issue at that point. Right, right. 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 right to so it's easy, it's easy to be, I, I guess the idea is it's easy to be more idealistic when the problem isn't hitting you directly. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. and. To, to, again, on to look at it on the other side, um, I think it has been shown that some of the, the the fears and whatnot that places like Texas and these border towns are complaining about are a little bit overblown. I did see a video recently where some MAGA folks had went down down there to the border because you know that's where they're called to do and get there and. She's like, yeah, I saw some people come across, but this is not an invasion like we've been told. So, you know, some of it's hyperbole and, and marketing and and but some of it obviously is also real that people are coming across the border. And then you have on a related point, people in New York who don't believe that this is really a tremendous strain on our resources. They think that right. people, the mayor are over exaggerating for whatever reason. Right right for political points or money from the government or whatever but they think that really this is just right-wing fanaticism 
And that, see, that to me is people who are, I guess, on the left doing the same thing, uh, the, the cognitive dissidents that people on the right do. Because even if you don't agree with any of the, the talking points or the reasons why they're there, you have to just economically understand you can't put 170,000 people on government assistance all at once and it not be a strain on a budget. Right. Oddly, right. there are people I hear from who don't seem to understand that point. Like, I don't like just the numbers. You know what uh -huh. I mean? Like taking care of 170,000 people. Okay, that's a lot of people. Feeding and housing them every day. Right. I mean, it's going to cost a lot of money. Right. You know, because it doesn't matter if you agree with, with you know, helping them or, or not. Exactly. Just looking at the number point of it, you have to say, it's it's this is definitely going to be something critical. Right, because when, when him asking for that, uh, for the uh, migrants, how much of that is going to cut into those that are, like I said, that are homeless, that still need shelters, that need... Well, we saw that. Yeah, what happens to that budget? Well, that's what that's what happened in, what was it, November, December, when uh, Adams announced that the budget was going to have to be cut across mm -hmm. the board by, by, what was it, 5% or something like that? I think it was 25%. Wow. Or, or was it 15? 15, 15, Maybe it's 15. Maybe it's 15. Maybe it's 15. Yeah. But yeah, he, he mentioned it. And, and, and so everybody they'll, 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 they'll tell you. They'll tell you that you're all taking a Republican or conservative approach to the problem all year. Solutions are about spending, you know, cutting back on the spending. What you need to be doing is raising revenues by making the wealthy pay their fair share, closing tax loopholes. And if you do that, you'll have all the money that you need to house everyone. I agree with that, too. I yeah. think I think both can be applicable. You know, you can raise revenues by making the, the rich pay their fair share, but yeah. also be aware that this this is a huge, uh, you know, a huge new outlay that's coming. Both are both are. Have the migrants proud. stopped coming to New York City? No. Are they still coming? Yeah. Yeah. Constantly. They're being constantly sent there. And it's not that they can't, not that they cross the border and be like, I'm going to New York. It's like right. Right. Texas. And then you have people who are tricked, right? And, you know, I don't know every conversation that goes on at the border, but I've heard stories of this, you know, at least when they were sending them to Martha's Vineyard and these, these places that they were told that they were be giving a job somewhere they, they would right. go for work but they were really just you know dumped on i don't know i think like the kennedy's doorstep or these like symbolic places i think they talked oh, about harris's house Kamala harris's yeah. right to, and obviously they weren't being sent there for jobs they were sent there to be political pawns and it's like right. you know to me that strikes me as as a form of kidnapping and, and tra human trafficking that i agree with that but, is not that shouldn't be and it should be kind of prosecutable in, in a way. I mean, like you said, it's kind of a form of kidnapping and because they misled them to believe that they were helping them, taking them somewhere, and then they just basically dropped them off. And, and it was in the winter, too, so it just dumped them off at, at the doorstep. Yeah, that's not it's, right. Yeah, that's, no, it's, yeah. it's not right. Now, if you're going to... I think there's a different argument there if they're sending them to a uh, an intake center in another city and they're aware that they're being sent there. It's like, okay, well, we, we can't help you here, but we know you can get help over here. You might have some wiggle room in an argument there, but just being like, oh, yeah, we're going to take you there, get you a job, and then go there, drop them off, be like, peace out. Like, no. And this does happen with refugees. I saw a documentary a long time ago about refugees who came into the U.S., and they were bused 
to different places and they were asking, well, how come you're going to Minnesota or some random place? And they say, I don't know. Like with the, we just get to, to find it up and just set different places. Yeah. Well, Mike, how come, I have a question for both of you. Why is, has not, why hasn't the federal government come in to uh, give monies or have a budget for ref, uh, migrants when they, like well, what's going on why, in the why do you think the gridlock in Washington and who controls the, the bodies of Congress, right? Yeah. I don't think the Republicans are gonna make a, any kind of vote to make any kind of money come out. Plus, that's to be that's to be fair, um, here, when Adams uh did ask the federal government for more money, even people uh in Biden's administration were blaming him for not not planning ahead or something like that. So both sides have kind of put it on his shoulders um, when it was really a situation that just kind of fell in his lap. All right. So we want to do the poll question. We can make it about this. I also wanted to ask about the debit card program because someone actually tagged me in a post on right. Facebook about that. So let's start with the mayor asking the state to cover half of the expenses we can make that the poll question unless you want to do it on the on the no, go for it okay sounds good all right so the poll question of the week is do you agree with new york city's mayor that the state of new york should cover half of the migrant expenses for the city yeah we'll see what that is and there was a question jeremy in the chat asked should we be a sanctuary for Americans or the whole world? How can we take care of the world? I think it's a question a lot of people are asking as well, especially when uh -huh. we've talked here several times about that study that came out that showed that over 50% of New Yorkers um, can't pay their can't pay their bills. Right, right. right. You know, exactly. I do mention, I think the term sanctuary city, sanctuary state, it, it gets thrown around in a in a heavily politicized way that might miss the mark in terms of what it was intending to do. It yeah. really, yeah. and I think I, I think part of the issue is it's a term that's from a different era, really, and is right. used in today's era. It's a different climate, and it you know kind of I think clashes with what it was originally for. So the idea behind it was that we weren't going to cooperate with the federal officials, immigration officials who were going to come in. And at the time, remember under Trump, especially, they were trying to come in and and rip kids out of school, separate them from their parents and put uh, them in cages at the border. And so uh -huh. we were saying, and, 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 you know, I think Koch might have been the first person to use sanctuary city, but so it goes back uh -huh. a while. But uh, th that was always the gist of it, that we weren't going to cooperate with the federal government when they would come in. You know, so our local police, NYPD in New York City, would not basically snitch on <laughs> on these kids and and yeah. turn them over to the federal authorities who were right. mistreating them right and there's a lot of abuse going on uh, right. right so that's really where that comes from today it's being used to mean that we just want to welcome all uh, immigrants uh, of, of any stripe you know just bring them all on but you know it wasn't really a message that we were saying bring in hundreds of thousands of people and, and we don't care about what it does to our resources it really wasn't about right. that right it no, it wasn't. Yeah, right. Immigration authorities. Because it came out in the 80s, right? Wasn't that something that was established in the 80s? Under Koch. Yeah, Koch, yeah. Yeah, so 
I mean, it really, I think the last time we really dealt with it, and I think New York City reaffirmed its status as a sanctuary city was under de Blasio during Trump's uh-huh. term. Right. And that was when you had the ICE agents coming, you know, getting trying to get into schools and uh-huh. kids away. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think even that. that fear was even before that as well, too, because I remember uh, it was in 2012 when we were doing the campaign and we were talking to people. It was regarding DACA and, mm-hmm. and those types of situations. And uh-huh. a, lot of, a lot of places were calling themselves sanctuary cities at that time, again, for the children and, and whatnot. Right. Uh-huh. So you'll see it get reaffirmed by cities and states in response to what's happening at the federal level. Right. So... But I think yeah. now it's being used as a way to attack the mayor to somehow paint him as someone who was saying, we want to do to bus us all these migrants. And that, that was really never what it was about. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So. And you and you mentioned the, the, the debit card program. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something I was tagged actually shortly before getting online for the episode here. I can read off, let me go on Facebook real quick and read off what this gentleman wrote in the Howard Beach Strong group. Mm. It tagged me, there's some comments here. Okay, so the, the post says, what can be done to stop giving illegal criminals, migrants, our legal American citizens, hardworking tax money, $1,000 a month? How is this legal? And then we've got a comment on the post here that says it's 40% more for their food than our citizens get for monthly food stamps, but they promise to only use it in bodegas for food and baby items. Laugh emoji. They think we're all fools. I guess they're right since people keep voting them in office. And then the original poster says crazy, but hey, if you're an American, hand you lose if you're an american hand i don't know what that means but hey if you're an american hand you lose all your s word we get a one-time payment of 700. um isn't that regards to the COVID thing maybe the uh stimulus right stimulus thing i i think from from what we we're able to gather some of that's a, a little bit skewed. It's uh, that debit program is being promote prompt uh, what pushed out or proposed to be pushed out to five hundred. Um, it's families. a pilot program right now, right? So it could be expected to to five hundred families initially, and if it works, they they will talk about expanding it, and so that those debit cards will be usable at bodegas, supermarkets, grocery stores, and convenience stores. And this is going to cost the city, it's going to cost, where was that? I just saw it was like 50, what was it? Like $58 million? $53 million, maybe. $53 million, yeah, $53 million. However, however, the city officials saying that this program, it might cost $53 million, but it's going to save the city 7.2 7.2 million. So if they continue the way that they're doing it now, it's going to cost 7.2 million more. And this should save the, uh, save the city money. Yeah. It's an interesting discussion because you can look at it purely in terms of economics, but then you could also look at the message that it's sending 
Oh. Right. Responding to it. You're getting posts like this, comments like this. Sure. It's rallying up more anger in people, right. certainly. It's causing more division. It is something that polarizes people. And Absolutely. then you can also look at what does that do long term? I mean, so the city is saying mm -hmm. that this is going to save them money just based on mm -hmm. the numbers as they stand now. But could that change the trajectory of the whole situation such that it becomes more expensive? Let's say if you right. know, more people start coming for these right. benefits, is that going to become too much of a burden on the city? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. But I, I certainly see the point that people are making, you know, because I could, let's say I responded to this guy and I said, well, look at it from an economic point of view to save the city money. Isn't that great? They're not going to say it's great. They're going to say it's unfair. That's what they're going to say, right? They're not looking at it from a from a purely economic point of view. And I think they're probably going to make the point that, you, you know, listen, you say this is going to save us money, but will it really? Or is it going to encourage more people to come and put more of a strain and create more of a problem for us? Right. And 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 you bring the point, like they're going to say it's mm -hmm. on, some people will will say it's unfair. Like, look, I'm yeah. I'm busting my hump 40 plus hours a week. I'm paying my, my yeah. taxes in New York. I need help. I'm struggling. Only 50% of us can't pay our bills. Uh, right. I could use that same sort of assistance. Why can't I get that? You know, and I'm the one contributing the money here. Like, what's what's uh -huh. going on? So I can I can see that point there. That's I think that has to be considered as well. Even though at the same time, you know, we you do want to be charitable and and help people that are in need, that are you know uh, families and children coming over. So right, and it's know, also it, one of those things where it's easy for it to become a meme in, in a sense, right? It's, mm -hmm. It reminds me of giving Mets tickets. Have, have you heard that to people so they don't skip their court date? It became a joke. People what? Okay. That. So that, so, so they were doing that. They, they were, when the whole bail reform issue was going on mm -hmm. and people were complaining about bail reform, it, you know, it came out that they were mm -hmm. giving out uh, Mets tickets as uh, an incentive for people to mm -hmm. not skip out on their court date. And so that just infuriated people even more mm -hmm. because it was so memeable, right? It was one of those things that became such an easy talking point, such an easy thing to go mm -hmm. after. And it's, it's something that you don't have to have a whole nuanced conversation to, to right. get an emotional response out of someone. If you just say, you know, can you believe they're not only uh, letting them out on bail, but they're giving them Mets tickets? Everyone's like, oh, my God, this city has gone crazy, right? All right. So, it's a similar type thing here, I think. I can definitely see it becoming one of those things. Like, you know, how serious are we getting about the migrant crisis when we're actually giving them debit cards? <laughs> they're not giving us debit cards, mm -hmm. but they're giving these, these migrants yeah. debit cards, right? And so mm -hmm. it's really hard to make an argument that it's a positive thing. You can try to talk about the economics of it all you want. I think just viscerally, it's going to rub people the wrong way. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. and... And it's important to be able to acknowledge that, right? People need to have those those concerns acknowledged. It can't mm -hmm. just be like, oh, well, you're bad people because you have this kind of feeling. It, we need to acknowledge that. Yeah. And in the same way we're I talking do. about, you need to acknowledge that, you know, um, 170,000 people will cause a strain. Like you have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Budgets are, are finite. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, money's just not right. everywhere. Like they have to be spent and doled out in different ways and different services okay. uh, are being utilized for di different um, you know, different things. And so, you know, that has to be acknowledged. Right. Because what about the medical? People talk about the food, clothing, and shelter, but what about when people get sick? 
Right. Uh, No one has said anything about that. And I'm sure Sure. not everyone's coming here is coming healthy. Well, don't know if that's, you know, true or not, but it's some... I'm sure there's going to be some people that need some care out of 170. Yeah. I think we also have to acknowledge the fact, like, you know, this particular commenter, this poster says, what can we, what can we done to stop giving, and they put in all caps, illegal criminals, migrants. Now, that's, that's a, a gray area, right? Because these oh. folks are not presumed to be here illegally or unlawfully. Now, right. there are issues with how the system is currently working, right? And you could argue that it's not working, and that's a valid argument to make. But people seeking asylum have to be given the chance to make their case. Not all of them are legitimate claims, I'm sure, but you yeah. also can't presume them all to be "quote unquote" illegal. Right. That's a. I think that's a harmful mischaracterization, um, and it, and it tends to when you when you frame it that way, then that mean then the people hearing it or or people who take that in can be less empathetic to, right. to their plight That's what I'm saying, right and then it makes it a lot easier to ask a question or pose a question this way how is it even legal for us to be spending our taxpayer money on these quote-unquote illegal criminals right 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 yeah. all right so in the chat we've got a couple of other questions that came in why is the federal government quicker to give money to Ukraine and Israel and migrants before Americans? A lot of people f- feel that way. And mm-hmm. then um, with an extra 170,000 people, we need more sanitation, cops, schools, hospitals, et cetera. And that's that's very true as well, which is also got to come right. And, and that's right. And, and those are some of the services that we're seeing right. cut as a result right. of this, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. You know, again, you have some who are naysayers i mean maybe you could say that they're they're akin to people who think we never landed on the moon or you know just conspiracy theorists or whatever but you have people saying oh no this is all overblown this is just a right-wing talking point and then the mayor he's a cop used to be a republican and so you know you can't trust what he says and so we really don't have a true budget crisis he's just making it sound like we do because that's what he you know that's his agenda or whatever so you have people who don't even believe that it's a real issue and a genuine issue and that you know they'll say if there is a strain on our resources it's just because they're buying into the right-wing propaganda they'll, you know i've heard that yeah but he had cut he cut the budget then he said that he was restoring the monies that were cut didn't he didn't that happen with mayor adams that's something um, about i the think initially initially he had, had made certain the statement about what was going to be cut and then right. um i think he walked back trying to cut the the nypd budget but i think I, it, I don't think other places got that same uh I favor was, uh, <laughs> so to speak no, I, um, thought I, I thought i read where he said all the where he the budgets that were going to be cut they weren't going to be cut again or he was going to restore um he was going to restore. Well, he was not going to cut them again, or he was going to restore the the budget, restore the budgets or the monies that were cut from there. But I thought I, thought I heard him say, and I thought it went all ac- across the board with all the agencies because I know they were complaining about that. Well, yeah, all I remember is the NYPD getting their their funds restored. Now he's trying to get half of the migrant crisis covered by the state. So he's trying to right. find ways to bring the money in so that we don't have to cut so much in the city. Right. 
Um, and and to the other comment, I mean, that's a you know regarding about the, the federal government sending money to uh, Ukraine and Israel and migrants um, and Americans hurting and going through it is kind of appropriate. With uh, in the last what couple of days, there's been that talk about the hundred billion dollar uh, spending budget that's going to Ukraine and and Israel, which. You know, people are like, hey, what's what's going on here? Why it's a valid question, right? To to bring up why are we spending so much money outside of our borders when we can't even get a handle on what's going on here? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what's that? Uh Tupac line. You got money for wars, but never feed the poor. Right. So. Yeah. Although we see when they try to do that, that's something that people will complain about. Right. Exactly. You know, so but you know, it doesn't have to be a matter of, of feeding the poor necessarily, but you know, at least ensuring that our services are not obliterated and we all uh, have the opportunity to make something of ourselves, right? We're not held back right. by the fact that our government can't function. We, we at least, I think, want sanitation and, <laughs> and the basic services that we all, you know, come to rely upon. I think I don't think that's too much to, to ask, right? And, and, and I think it's probably a fair characterization to say that the people the migrants coming in are not coming in looking explicitly for handouts they're they're looking for for work and for a better and that's life part of the issue also right the fact that it's so difficult for them to get work because of the legal structure right. i mean sure the laws in new york allow people to stay here and, and be sheltered um, right. <laughs> when it comes to getting them sustainable employment it's a bit of a different story right yeah so and that's a problem, right? I think that is an indication that the system is broken in some way, right? The system yeah. shouldn't be set up so that everyone is allowed shelter, but not the ability to work. Because what that saying is we are necessarily going to keep people dependent on the government and be straining our resources oh. while not giving them the tools to get ahead. So it doesn't help anyone. Yeah, I, I think also, though, I think there should also be allowances for the 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 idea that the system never intended for this to be the situation, right? Like, um, like we mentioned, like this idea of, um, you know, guaranteed shelter or sanctuary city wasn't intended to be utilized in this way. Right. Um, right. This is kind of what happens when you take it to a logical extreme, I guess. Or, or when you get people who like Abbott, who want to make some sort of a political statement and, and, push push these different things you know what i mean uh-huh. right i mean this right. would be similar right. it's, it's, it's kind have... of a loophole isn't it isn't it kind of like a loophole in the system i mean it's kind of like how you have loopholes in a tax code right and you say right. well the tax system wasn't intended for all these billionaires to not be paying any taxes but they're able to, to utilize it as such and i think it is on some level an indication that the system is not working as it's supposed to be working right i mean and yeah and so Think about it. It's kind of similar to what if half of everybody in New York all of a sudden filed for unemployment, right? The system probably can't support that, uh-uh. which is, but it's not intended for it to be a, a mass influx of applications like that. It's to be there for assistance when people need it, but not for it, not counting on everyone doing it at the same time. Same same thing if you go to your bank and you want to take out your money. If every one of their customers in the bank one to take right. out their money at the same time, it's not possible because they don't have that money there. Here's the thing, when you deal with 
things like insurance, well, what happens? There are safeguards. And of course, you, you could break the system when, <laughs> in, in ways like you described. But but what generally happens, like premiums go up, right? As more claims yes. are made, as a way to try to compensate for that. But there is no such limitation on the right to shelter, which is what they're trying to modify, right? So the right uh-huh. to shelter is really an extreme, and so there is no check against that being overburdened. Whereas there is when it comes to somebody's financial institution. Right. Right. When it comes to, you know, we do have insurance. Banks are FDIC insured. Like we said, when it comes mm-hmm. to insurance, premiums are going to go up as more claims are made. Nothing is happening um, to compensate for the shelter system being overburdened in New York. Right. right. The law and I think just, it's because they never expected it to be right. type of overburdened all at once. Mm-hmm. Right. So and, and here's the here's the trick. Here's the tricky thing. Right. Um like I said, they probably never expected it to be overburdened to this extent all at one time. If they decided, if Mayor Adams decided, okay, we're going to put those controls in place, now he's the bad guy. If he suddenly says, okay, there's a cutoff, we're not accepting anymore. Well, okay, now he's the bad guy. Now he's going to be, he's he's the Greg Abbott, you know? Oh, I thought you were trying to help people. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like a... Now, isn't that what he's trying to do when he goes to the court and... Asks for the Callahan decree to be modified. You know, we shouldn't have right to shelter to the extreme. And he is saying that we need modifications to these systems. So, Uh yeah, but I'm just saying like. Yeah, and you're right. He does get blamed. He's going to get blamed (laughs) for that. And that's the political climate that we're in. No matter what action you take, you're going to get attacked from one side or another. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good word to describe the times, I think. So we did have a poll from last yes. week. Let's see what that says. Let's uh, get into that. And this was another uh, issue involving Adams, actually. <laughs> um, the uh, city council had uh, overridden his veto on the How Many Stops Act, and so which w- would require police officers to document every encounter with New Yorkers, whether they were big or small. And... So we asked, do you agree with the New York City New York City Council's action to override the mayor's veto on the How Many Stops Act, which requires police officers to document investigative encounters? And we got 71% said they agree. 16% they didn't agree. 13% they didn't know. So overwhelmingly, people agreed that police should have to document these encounters, or they agreed with that veto to, to allow this to take place. Um, there were a number of comments here, and all of them were pretty much in that uh, affirmative. Um, yes, document everything. The police have repeatedly proven that they can't be trusted. Slow, you know, slow response times and excessive burdens. F you, Adams. So, <laughs> <laughs> is there yeah. any nuanced um, conversation here, or anything that tries to get at what we were talking about? Because we were really breaking down this legislation last week and talking about what the weaknesses might be and trying to get it from both sides. I mean, is anyone really driving at, at any of that? Well, there was a person that said that mm-hmm. question kind of like, they said, uh, I love how we're constantly being told that requiring law enforcement officers to conform to a standard and be subject to accountability will somehow make it impossible for them to do their job, but doctors, nurses, et cetera, manage this fairly well. Um, and people are like, you know, it's excellent point that they document a lot and have found ways to do so efficiently. 
So walking, now, right. talking into a dictating machine is too um, difficult. Part of the reason why you see doctors doing that is because they don't want to get sued. Or if they are sued, they right. know that they've got all their documentation in order. We know that is difficult to sue cops, right? Qualified immunity. Right. Yeah. Um, another person, was, it sounded like they were iffy, but they said, I don't know if the city council got this right, but I don't trust the police to set the rules for themselves. Um, the city should give the law a chance to work, but be ready to modify if needed. And I think that's probably a pretty good sentiment for any type of uh, law going into effect. You know, if there's some a weakness somewhere and there's a proposal, if it's, you know, give it a chance to work. But again, if it needs to be uh, amended or changed or fixed, you know, be willing and ready to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my question was really about those level one stops. Right. Which, uh, you know, to recap, they had three levels, right? Levels two and three were when people were under reasonable suspicion of a crime. So uh, look at them more as the suspects in that case. Level one was when the person stopped is not a suspect in any way. They're someone that you're asking information from about a crime happening so you know it could be did you see this guy running down the street <laughs> we saw a guy who was wearing this outfit you know in the commission of a crime around here do you see which way he went something like that that would be considered a level one stop right and we wondered if it was too burdensome for the police to have to document every level one stop let's say that they were asking 50 people in a very short time is it going to interfere with their investigation to have to document all of these i don't know the answer to that but i think it's worth looking at right and you know i i did look into another after we got off um just the um the pod last week that apparently there's about you know we're talking about documenting every stop apparently there's approximately 3.2 million stops every year mm. that's, that's a lot of documentation citywide statewide countrywide citywide Citywide, NYPD. Citywide. Yeah. Citywide. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's pretty significant <laughs> number yeah. of documentation. And there was a um, a comment here that did take the prop, uh, opposite route, saying that they, I appear to be in the somewhat of a minority here, but this sounds like using a shotgun to kill an ant. Mm. Um, talking about the most effective policing occurs when police develop rapport and relationships with the citizens. I, you know, I. I agree with that part. However, if it's not being done and we're seeing these abuses, something needs uh -huh. to be tried. Mm -hmm. Is what I think. You know, is there also a concern that the police won't ask questions? They won't actually do the investigation if they don't want to fill out all these reports. Right. And and uh -huh. he did mention that. Um if every officer is busy calculating how much time is going to be invested in documenting those routine face-to-face -face moments, it will de-incentivize the kind of introductions and day-to-day -day conversations that help build officers' citizen trust and familiarity. So, but again, the key was investigative stop. So even just so that type of doesn't really vibe with it. You, they can still have that cordial, "Hey, how you doing?" that type of thing that builds yeah. that rapport. Yeah. It's not an investigative uh, stop. They didn't have to document it. Yeah. Reminds me, not long ago, I was walking on the street in Ozone Park, and a police officer approached me on foot, right? Uh-oh. And so, yeah, you know, I think anyone 
<laughs> if, if this happens to you, you get a little nervous, right? You know, this, you know, why is a, a cop coming at me? And he, he walked up to me and he, he said, hey, Mike. And then <laughs> he just knew me. <laughs> then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, how you doing, officer? Uh, you know, so would he? I guess that wouldn't be an investigative stop. He wouldn't need to fill out a report for that. No, right. right. But if he asked me, <laughs> do, do you have any information on a crime around here? I guess that would be. He can carry a tape recorder. Right? Tape recorder? Doctors do, yeah. Or oh, body camera? And, yeah. And if he, he could get 50 people, he can interview 50 people with a tape recorder camera. He'd have a document. And then go, what, sit at the office and fill out 50 reports? Well. I just wonder, you know, is there a likelihood of them not interviewing as many people if they know each one has to come with a report? I'm sure some, I'm sure that will reduce some people doing that. Um, Whether that diminishes. Go ahead. I was going to say whether that diminishes their effectiveness in investigating Mm -hmm. or if it diminishes harassment, uh, we, we won't know yet. Right. Yeah, or as I even true. said last week, what if not, not, the opposite direction. What, what if they wouldn't be stopping as many people, but there's pressure now on them to get these reports in? And so right. they're told, hey, you know, how come yeah. you don't have enough level one stops? You're telling me you're out there investigating, go out there and investigate more crimes. And then right. now stopping more people that they otherwise wouldn't be. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what were you going to say, Sheba? No, I was going to say, I was going to ask, how many of those level ones have turned into possibly a level two? You know, right. stop. It escalates to something else. Then it escalates right. to something right. the else. The person becomes a suspect. And, and right. that can happen, right? Maybe you're asking them a question, uh, you know, information on a crime. And then in the course of your questioning, you realize they're the ones who might have done the crime. And that can naturally happen. Or right. I think the, the, the real distinction that's more blurry is between two and three, right? Because if you read the description of a level two and a level three, they're very similar. The only difference I believe is that in a level two, the person reasonably thinks that they can leave. And in a level three, the person reasonably thinks that they can't. And so it's more, does the person think that they're under arrest or you know, that they, they have to comply or is it voluntary? And, and right. you know, you can see that being a, a gray area. Everyone might have a different reaction to that. Right, but can right. they leave in a level one, or they can just? How's that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, level one is the person is not a suspect at all. You just ask them for information. Right. And supposing I give you the wrong information, and he can think I'm a, a suspect. Can that happen, or does that happen, or am I nervous, or what are you stopping me for? Yeah, yeah, and you become a suspect. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. So. Yeah, and interesting, interesting responses here. Um, but yeah, overwhelmingly, people think that. Uh, well, I think the good thing about this is that the data is going to become public, right? And so we, right. as a people, will have the opportunity to review the data and see what right. it tells us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. And it's an opportunity for the police officers to clean up their act. And then they can come back and say, hey, look. You know, we haven't been doing this. We can, we can, we don't need this law anymore. You know, so I think it's, you know, maybe they need some accountability. Uh, one of the, the last comment on this was, um, in an ideal world, documentation for every encounter shouldn't be necessary. But when a paramilitary force consistently assaults unarmed persons doing nothing illegal under the purview of probable cause, 
than claims protections from liability under implied immunity, it becomes a required component of community safety. And I, I agree with that. NYPD on the whole is better than some of these other police forces. Not that they're perfect, and we've seen problems with them as well. But it seems like a lot of these reforms that are happening in New York are really done in response to what's happening nationally. And maybe they're going too far in New York when they're not really responsive to what's happening in New York specifically. I don't know. I, I, yeah. uh, I don't know. I think, I think when you think about police, uh, police departments going too far, NYPD, LAPD are at the top of the list. I don't know. I'm thinking Ferguson. Think about how many, think yeah. about the stop and frisk numbers. Like that was just ridiculous. Those numbers were hundreds of thousands of stops and, and uh -huh. up 80 plus. That, you know, that was really Bloomberg driving it at the time. And then it was declared unconstitutional and it's not being done like that anymore. But the history is still there. The, yeah. Those people who were stopped are still living there, who still have uh -huh. that, that experience. I remember um, when we were living in, in, I was living in New York and my cousin, he's been on here a couple of times, KJ, uh, he was living in Harlem and he said every day when he would walk from his apartment to the train station to go to his office, he would, or come home, he would see these police officers doing the stop and frisk. And he would always in the back of his mind, always think one day it's going to be my time. Right. He had to live with that every day. So, uh -huh. I, I mean, I don't care if they stop doing it. The police officers at the police department, you don't automatically get that trust back. You have to prove it. And then every little thing that you do wrong that's maybe uh, uh, at a normal benchmark is still going to reinforce what you did, um, what you overly did before. So you've got to do a lot to clean up that and get that trust back. Yeah. And for my part, I never faced it in New York, but... Yeah. Yeah, I just think I don't know. It seems like what we see around the country is is worse, right? But that doesn't excuse New York's problems. You know, I just wonder if some of it is an overcorrection to what we're seeing nationwide. Yeah. I think it, I think there might be a necessity though. Like um, we're seeing too much, even if it's you know, a media biased in reporting or or media over reporting on certain things. There should be a smaller, a much, much smaller margin of error when you're talking about the responsibility that law enforcement has, not just NYPD, but across the country. Um, there should be a much, much, much smaller error and should be no tolerance to, to bad actors um, because you're talking about responsibility. You're talking about the public trust and talking about the public safety. Um, it's not just a regular job. This is not like I messed up your order at uh, Burger King and put uh, mustard on your hamburger. On the burger. <laughs> you know, this is this is a serious responsibility. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's necessary. It's this clean house thing needs to be done. You know, and you can certainly see it from the perspective of, look, if you're going to stop someone and interfere with their day. Right. And again, we talked about how you know, even even for me, I'm walking down the street and I'm an attorney. I'm a political figure. I know I'm not out here committing crime, but I still get that feeling like, why is a police officer stopping? What is this about? Right. I think that's a natural reaction for anyone to have. If you're a person of color, that's magnified. Right. So right. I think it's natural to say, listen, if you're going to stop someone, 
and interrupt their day in such a way, maybe the least you could do is create a document of what happened. Right. You know, and I think you know what I think the and I don't think we really touched on it last week. Um, I think that could possibly deter deter some of those frivolous stops. Like if oh I've got to document it, well maybe I just yeah uh, whatever. Maybe they'll only stop when there is a real reason to stop. I think so they won't have to. Right. I think that's the idea behind it. Certainly. Yeah. Well, so. All right. Well, I think we're kind of long. Yes. Little our bottom line. Yep. Um. I don't know. I think what I just said line? sounded like a bottom line. Yeah. I like that idea of no margin of error. Uh, that be a bottom line. Can you maybe work that in something? Yeah, well, I think I, you know, I would just reiterate what I what I said there when we're talking, and I've said it before. We've talked about this before, and I think people huh? like police officers, like law enforcement, that includes politicians. Um, they're not just doing a job; they have a responsibility, and so the uh, punishment or the the scrutiny should be much higher for for whatever they do when they do wrongdoing because they're they're dealing with public trust. They're dealing with responsibility. Um, you know, like I said, it's not just like messing up somebody's order. You know, right. we all we all kind of tend to lean into to something, even if it's dangerous. Like when you first start driving, um, you know, you're on 10 and 2 and you're very upright. You know, six months later, after you've eased into it, you're like chilling like this. You got your drink. You got your you're playing with the radio because <laughs> you take that responsibility becomes a little bit more of a. Uh, a normal situation, but I don't think when you're dealing with police, law enforcement, you're dealing with politicians, I don't think there's the luxury of that because so many people's lives are intertwined with that and so much is at stake there. We need to scrutinize those better. So I think we need to keep moving forward and try to amend and fix these systems so they can work better. Yeah, there you go. And um, real quick, it's funny, I just had a thought, we were talking about 10 cup day. When I was in Albany, when Mayor de Blasio at the time was up there asking for more uh, mayoral control, right? You want that, that to be extended again, as the mayors do. Uh, it was a very small hearing room. And I think I had to go take care of something, file some paper, do, you know, do something else at the time. And so I, I wasn't there at the beginning of the meeting. But then uh, I had to kind of like run down the hallway and try to make it into the meeting before I missed too much of it. And I remember just like running down a hall in, in, in Albany, you know, in the, in the Capitol building and uh, finding out, you know, where, where the room is. Okay. It's this room over here, opening the door, pull, you know, pulling it open. And I walk in and it's like, it's kind of like the small little meeting room. And, and de Blasio is right there giving his speech saying, you know, this is why we need more mayoral control. And I'm like, I basically interrupted him. I opened the door and everyone's like looking at me. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, here we are. Uh, I'm thrust right in the midst of, of this, this battle. And, uh, <laughs> That was always just a, a funny moment that I was stuck mm -hmm. in my head. I guess because it's you know such such a, a big thing happening, right? It's the mayor of New York City uh, in Albany at state capitol arguing for mayoral control and more money for the city and all these different things. But it's all happening in like some some small, almost like a like a classroom or something like that down a hall. You walk mm -hmm. in, and just interrupt by just by, by stepping into it. So. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe it's a reminder that sometimes very important conversations happen, even when it doesn't feel like you're in, in, in a big grand venue. Right. Right. Absolutely. So where can they find us, Mike? They can find us everywhere, right? Wherever podcasts can be heard, you can subscribe as Spotify, Apple Music, so on and so forth. You can get the audio 
push directly to your device. We're on YouTube at Nuance with Mike Scala and Jay Carter. We've got all the audio and videos up there as well, as well as clips and shorts and whatnot. We're on Instagram at Nuance Show. We're at, on Reddit at Nuance Show on social media. So find us, get involved with the discussions, give your answers to polls. I believe you post them on Daily Coast, is it? Coast, yeah, yeah. Find us there as well. Let us know what you think. And of course, we're live on Facebook on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining. Thank the people in the comments as well. And I guess I'll say it. We've got work to do. There it is. We'll catch you next time.